Well, there seems to be a theme running through the uh, service today, beginning with the senior adult choir, and that is without him we can do nothing. And our total and absolute uh, dependence upon God and the need to develop uh, desperate hearts uh, for God uh, that by his grace are determined to follow hard uh, after him. And uh, today I'm going to begin a, a new sermon series that hopefully will uh, aid us in our endeavor uh, to tap in to God's grace and power as God's people uh, to be and do what God has called us to be and do. And that series is entitled Keys uh, to Spiritual Growth. And I plan for this series to take us through uh, the month of March. When a person is born again, he begins the Christian life as an infant child of God. God's plan is for every believer to grow up, uh, to advance, uh, to mature into spiritual adulthood. Sadly, uh, many Christians remain in spiritual infancy. Uh, many others, for various reasons, uh, experienced arrested uh, spiritual development. Are you growing in your spiritual life? Are you growing in your spiritual life? If you are not, or if, the, uh, if you're not satisfied the, with the rate of your growth, this series is for you. And if you are growing spiritually, you'll be excited to learn more about the keys that will open the door to even greater spiritual growth. Now, in this first message, I simply want to lay a foundation uh, for the study by focusing on three areas. First, uh, clearing up misunderstandings about spiritual growth. Uh, then second, defining what spiritual growth is. And then third, looking at what God's part is in our spiritual growth and what our part is. The divine provision uh, over against the human responsibility in that process of spiritual growth. Now, this morning, uh, I'm only going to have time to get through those misunder- clearing up those misunderstandings uh, concerning spiritual growth. And I want us to uh, look at... Uh, Eight things there. I hope you picked up a copy of the sermon notes as you uh, came in. So uh, begin with me, and hopefully we'll get through at least uh, the first side of that page, and we'll pick up next week and complete uh, the remainder of this, this message. Look at the first truth. Again, we are wanting to clear up misunderstandings about spiritual growth. And the first one is this. My position in Christ has nothing to do with spiritual growth. Now, they are definitely related to one another, but they are two separate things. In Christ, God sees me as already perfect, despite the fact that my practice is far from perfect. That is my position in Christ, the fact that in Jesus, God sees me perfect, despite the fact My practice lags far behind. Now, spiritual growth is simply what? Closing the gap 
between my position in Christ and my practice. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In other words, I'm to learn to walk consistent with my position in Christ, with my identity in Christ. In Christ, I am a new creation. I am complete in Christ. God sees me fully justified, fully sanctified, fully glorified. He sees me as being already perfect because of what Christ has accomplished for me. Spiritual growth, again, is bringing my practice closer and closer to my position in Christ. Now, here, here's the point. I am not, I'm never to become so content with my position in Christ as a believer that I do not strive to make it a reality in my practice. That would be like having, uh, you know, an example of a million dollars deposited to my bank account, but then never appropriating it, never withdrawing any of that and using that. Yet many Christians have had all the riches of Christ deposited into their spiritual account, yet we never appropriate it, use it to be empowered to accomplish God's plan for our lives. And that's what spiritual growth is all about. Learning how to appropriate that position, those riches, that grace, those gifts, the promises of God to become what God desires us to become and accomplish what He desires us to accomplish. Look at the second misunderstanding that we need to clear up. God's love is not affected by spiritual growth. God's love for His child is unconditional. I love John 13, 1. This little phrase out of that verse, this refers to Jesus and His relationship to His disciples, and it says He loved them to the very end. Now, was His love for them based on their performance? No, these men miserably failed Him on numerous occasions. And in the end, they all denied Him. Yet His love never failed them. As we just mentioned, God sees us as perfect in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As a result, God loves me as much as He loves His Son, the Lord Jesus. That's the wonder of God's grace. And absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing can alter God's disposition of love toward me. God does not love me more if I grow more. And He does not love me any less if I do not grow. I did nothing to win God's love. Therefore, there's nothing I can do to lose God's love. That is the one guarantee I have in this life as a child of God that His love will never let me go. Now, what spiritual growth does, and this is important, what spiritual growth does, it does affect my enjoyment of God's love. For example, the prodigal son never ceased to be the son of his father. The prodigal son, despite his rebellion, 
that never altered his father's love for him. But while that prodigal was wallowing in the pig pen, he wasn't enjoying his father's love, was he? Now, when the prodigal son returned in repentance to his father, what did he learn about his father's love? Well, he suddenly realized his father never stopped loving him even for a second. He learned that his father's love longed and waited for his return. And when he did return... He discovered that his father's love embraced him as if he had never left. Now, there are some prodigals sitting right here this morning. And you need to return in this new year to the father's love. And begin again that process of spiritual growth. God longs for you to return. And his arms are open wide, ready to embrace you this morning as if you had never left. Amen? That's the wonderful mercies of God which are new with each new day and His great compassions that never fail us. Look at the third misunderstanding we need to clear up going forward. Dramatic spiritual experiences do not necessarily result in spiritual growth. Dramatic spiritual experiences do not necessarily result in spiritual growth. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5, which is the example of the children of Israel following their miraculous deliverance from Egypt. It says, all of them were guided by a cloud. That's, of course, referring to the cloud that guided them by day and what? The pillar of fire by night, a supernatural, miraculous occurrence. It says all of them walked through the sea on dry land. That's referring to when God literally parted the waters and they walked through and then Pharaoh's army was swallowed up and destroyed in those same waters. It says they all Of them ate the same spiritual food. What's that referring to? Manna that fell down from heaven each day that would provide them the substance that they needed. All of them drank the same spiritual drink. It's talking about when Moses struck the rock and the waters poured out. So they experienced all these wonderful miracles. They had many dramatic spiritual experiences. But notice, yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, nothing against miracles, nothing against having dramatic spiritual experiences. God still performs miracles today. God the same yesterday, today, forever. Just realize that they are not a shortcut for spiritual growth. You even see this in the church that these words were written to, the church at Corinth. If you're familiar with the church, Paul acknowledges, like no other church, they were enriched with all of the spiritual gifts. I mean, they were seeing miracles, they were seeing healings, There was the gift of tongues within the church. And he says, no church has been enriched with the gifts of God like this church has been. Yet, of all the New Testament churches, it was probably the most carnal church that existed. As there was selfishness, discord within the body, 
open, public sin, bringing disgrace to the name of Jesus. Paul had to call them to task. Paul even said, many of you have, are, have, are sleeping and always been put to death due to your persistence in sin. Look at the fourth misunderstanding that we need to clear up. God blessing a person with prosperity is not a mark of spiritual growth. God blessing a person with prosperity is not a mark of spiritual growth. Look at Christ's message to the church at Laodicea, which was probably the wealthiest, most prosperous church in the early days of Christianity. Revelation 3.17 says, You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, they thought because God had allowed them to experience material prosperity that apparently they were knowing God's approval and they were walking with God, growing with God, honoring God, which was not the case. See, God may have allowed you to prosper, but again, that's not a mark of spiritual growth any more than experiencing need or adversity is a mark of God's displeasure, of God's displeasure. Both rich and poor Christians grow spiritually. And both rich and poor Christians do not. There's absolutely no relationship between spiritual growth and material prosperity. So do not fall into the deception of the prosperity gospel that would try to tell you otherwise. Look at the fifth misunderstanding we need to make sure we clear up. Good intentions are not the measure of spiritual growth. In other words, your passions, your desires, your intentions. In Romans 7, verses 18 and 19, we read, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Then the point is simply this. Nothing wrong with good intentions. It's great to have good intentions. It's great to have the right desires and expectations of God. But good intentions are useless if they do not lead to concrete action and change. No one loses weight by simply having good intentions. No one excels in school or at work simply with good intentions. There's never been a great athlete that accomplished what he accomplished merely by good intention. It takes hard work. It takes hard work. And the Christian life is no different. Good intentions, again, are useless unless they lead us to develop spiritual habits that produce spiritual growth. The Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy. Listen now. He said to Timothy, Timothy, take time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Take the time, Timothy. Make the trouble, Timothy. Do whatever it takes to keep spiritually fit. Look at the sixth misunderstanding we need to clear up. How long a person is a Christian is not an indicator of spiritual growth. 
I mentioned earlier my great admiration for many of our senior adults, but just the fact that they may be older than the rest of us is not an indicator of spiritual growth. Uh, Look at Hebrews 5.12. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Tragically, many Christians grow old without ever growing up. They remain spiritual babies. And like babies, they have life. They're part of the family of God. They can be very cute, and we love them. But let's be very honest for a moment. There are things about babies, and Kathy and I have had a number of them, that are not so attractive, not so appealing. They are absolutely dependent on others. They are very demanding. They demand to be the center of attention. Life centers around what? Their needs. They whine. They cry. They complain. They fuss when they don't get what they want. And they make a lot of messes that other people have to clean up. Bottom line, how long you've been a Christian has absolutely nothing to do with spiritual growth because time alone does not have the power to affect change. The question is, how do you use your time? Are you redeeming the time, as Paul exhorts us in Ephesians 5? Spiritual growth is not automatic. You can't just put it on cruise control and just cruise your way through the Christian life. It is not automatic. It requires the application of the biblical truths that we will look at in this sermon series. And let me add... It's never too late to stop being a baby and to start growing up. And I pray God will give us that resolve in this study. Look at the seventh misunderstanding to clear up. Knowledge of the Bible does not uh, automatically equate to spiritual growth. Knowledge of the Bible does not automatically equate to spiritual growth. And I think this is an important one for our church to understand. This church over the years has received such wonderful instruction in the Word of God. But we need to be careful and not fall into the trap just thinking because we know a lot that we must really have spiritually grown. It's not, it's not necessarily the fact. Look at James 1.22. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must what? Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. See, James is saying, never study the Bible merely as an academic exercise to acquire more knowledge. Spiritual growth, spiritual growth comes when you go beyond the written word and you get to the author of those words to know him personally, to know him intimately, to tap again into his power to do what he's called you to do. The Bible was not given for information. It was given for transformation. You must come to the Bible as God's blueprint for your life, and then you must build your life 
By what? Following that blueprint. Sadly, too many believers remain content just reading and studying the blueprint, dreaming about their home in heaven, and never building anything of eternal significance in this life. They are hearers, but not doers of God's Word. And then look at the eighth misunderstanding we need to clear up as we close out this morning. Busyness in ministry is not to be confused with spiritual growth. Just because you're busy, just because you're very active in church work, in religious activity, uh, that does not need to be confused with spiritual growth. Look at Revelations 2, uh, Christ's message to the church at Ephesus. He says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work. And if you know that passage in its fullness, more, he commends them for many things, their, their labor, their perseverance. Um, but he says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. In other words, they were busy in God's work, but the business only cloaked a diminishing love for Jesus and for others. Do you remember Mary and Martha? Jesus comes to their home. Remember the difference between the two girls? Martha, busy, distracted with all the preparations, while Mary, what? Sat at the feet of Jesus to listen. Remember Martha got all upset, complained to Jesus that her sister wasn't helping her? Jesus looks to Martha and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so, so many things. And there's really only one thing that's necessary. And your sister has chosen the best part. Now notice. And don't make it any more complicated than this. Mary made a choice that Martha didn't make. That Martha could have made. Martha had the same opportunity that Mary had. But she became distracted in her busyness and missed the very, very best. Now, does this mean, does this mean that you're going to spend all your time in prayer and the Word of God for spirit? No. It just means that you keep first things first. Amen. That there's a discipline, that there's a priority about your life. As Paul said in Philippians, this one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind, I press forward to that which is ahead, pressing on with every ounce of my energy by the grace of God towards that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, very, very quickly, without hardly any comment, what spiritual growth is, and then we'll end. Spiritual growth, and I'll talk more about this next week. We'll pick up right here. Spiritual growth is the lifelong process by which a Christian's character and conduct is changed to be like Jesus. Spiritual growth, it is a lifelong process, never ends on this side of eternity, to which a Christian's character and conduct is changed into the likeness of Christ. 2 Peter 3.18, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 
Corinthians 3.18. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him, like Jesus, as we are changed into His glorious image. And then Ephesians 4.15. Growing in every way more and more like Jesus. And I can conclude this morning by simply tying this in with the book study of Philippians that we had in 2016. Spiritual growth is basically learning and then actually, what? Living for Christ in all circumstances. Loving like Christ in all relationships. Looking to Christ in all decisions. And then leaning on Christ in all challenges. That is the end result of spiritual growth. To connect us with God, His person and His power to live a life that will honor Him and that will draw others to Him. Amen? So as we begin this series today, my my challenge to you, would you renew your commitment to spiritual growth? Would you say, God... Thank you for the series you've led Brother Andy to lead us in here at the beginning of this new year. And Lord, I acknowledge that I I need it. I, I commit to be present whenever I can. And I commit to appropriate, to apply the truth that will be shared. Because it's not just knowing the truth, it's what? Practicing the truth. And I guarantee, I guarantee you, if you will be present... If you'll have an open heart, and then you'll leave here with a commitment to appropriate, to apply that which will be taught, you will grow. I guarantee that. You will grow in your relationship with Christ. You will come more and more like Him to where you are beginning to live for Him in all circumstances. Love like Him in all relationships. Look to Him in all decisions. And lean on Him in all challenges. As I extend the invitation today, uh, possibly there's someone here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Through the music, through Shannon's testimony, even a little bit that I shared, uh, you heard the gospel that Jesus loves you. Although you may be that prodigal, you may be in rebellion. Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross for the penalty of your sin. And he rose again to offer you the gift of forgiveness. So the blood of the Savior canceled out your sin debt before God so that he could receive you in Christ as one that he sees is perfect. And then that righteousness of the risen Lord was imputed to your account, deposited into your account to give you a right standing before God. God requires on your part to trust Him, to place your faith in Him, to open up your heart, to make your heart His home as you would invite Him in to forgive you of your sins and take control of your life. And I would appeal to you to put your trust in Jesus this very day. And then believers, I've already issued the challenge to you that going forward now in this study that you will commit yourself by the grace of God Uh, to apply yourself and put this truth 
and practice. So stand, and as the invitation is extended, uh, let's all be responding to what God has spoken to our hearts. Anyone would like to unite with the church, you're welcome to come forward. We'd love to receive you. Bow your head just for a moment, just right before we close. I do want to give you an opportunity right now, especially you believers, you followers of Christ, to respond to the challenge that I issued you to look to God and by His grace to be present, by His grace to learn as we walk through these series over the next three months, and by His grace to put this truth uh, into practice in your life as He's the power at work in your life. Next week, we'll, we'll look at the divine provision for spiritual growth, but there is a human responsibility. It's a reciprocating process, and so there's a part that we play as well. And so uh, you just commit right now in these few seconds of silence and trusting that God will use this series to grow you in Christ and to make you more like Him. Father, we do trust now, going forward, that you will be the power at work in us. We again acknowledge, without you, we can do nothing. Without you, we cannot grow. But thank you, as we will see next week, you have made the divine provision for us. That we have everything right now that pertains to life and godliness. It's now for us to, through faith, appropriate that and to practice it as you come along our side through the person and power of the Holy Spirit uh, to give us that empowerment. And we trust you for it, that it will result in spiritual growth and becoming more like Jesus for his honor and glory. And we trust you. Amen. Now, uh, as you leave uh, today, remember ladies. I believe Cheryl Carroll, who heads up our ladies' ministry, she'll be at the Information Center uh, to sell you your tickets, uh, Shannon, you need to go ahead and get get out there. If Shannon will be in the vestibule, please take the opportunity to give her your email. Uh, and I trust many of you will consider providing her support. And then remember the small groups today. Uh, and uh, Awana and Youth, Alan, did you have anything? Okay. So God bless you. You're you're dismissed.